Welcome to Reels on the Rocks, the show where we discuss films from the unpretentious perspective. We're your hosts, Whiskey and Sweet Tea, and today we'll be discussing the Poseidon Adventure, the 1972 classic disaster film that saved Fox. Please be advised, spoilers are ahead. The Poseidon Adventure, the 1972 classic directed by Ronald Neem and produced by Irwin Allen. This film was nominated for eight Academy Awards and it won one for Best Song and an additional one for a non-competitive award recognizing its use of special effects. It is also based on the 1969 book of the same name by Paul Gallico. So, you know, it has a long history in there. And, you know, Paul Gallico actually wrote this about his own experience on the Queen Mary. He was on the Queen Mary and I believe a wave hit the ship. It didn't turn over, but it I turned on to say. it turned it turned on its side. And, but it but it righted itself. So it's interesting that this is based on not necessarily fact, but it came from somewhere real. And I think that actually does carry over into the film. So this is one of my personal favorites. When I was in about the fifth grade, ABC did a television remake of it. I was obsessed with it. And then my dad came home one day with it. He's like, look, here's the original. We found it at Target. Watch it. This one's actually good. Ha! And <laughs> Savage. Uh, I know. So he brought, and I was in love with this film. And I actually was... A, I was so obsessed with this. Actually, the same year, uh, the Poseidon came out, which it was uh, it was not great, but it was okay with Kurt Russell, it was, your buddy from the thing. Oh yeah, uh, I I saw it in the theaters. I saw uh, it. It was I it was it. okay. It was fine. It was it wasn't it wasn't that good, it, but um, it wasn't bad. It was it was just, it, was, it was there. It's like a good TV movie, like not made for TV, but like if it's on FX or something, it's great to like. Oh hey, that remake of the Poseidon Adventures on. But uh, it was a bit of a cash grab, I'd say, which is weird because I don't feel like like because that's like not, that I was, was not aware- a cheap movie to make either. <laughs> well, it's one of those movies that I I'm I'm very curious, especially like when this discussion is uploaded. I I feel like not a lot of people have heard of this movie in our yeah. age demographic, and probably in some of our viewers' age demographics. Like it is a great great blockbuster from a long time ago. But I, it is a forgotten blockbuster. That's that's the thing, and it, it is a great movie. In our last reels on the rocks, I was talking about Jaws, and kind of what I was noticing with this one was it is very it's very good. Um, special effects still hold up, but yeah. it felt very old fashioned. Like my <laughs> this this is the example I I'll tell you. I was watching. And um, the priest, who is played by, help me out with Gene this. Hackman. Gene Hackman. Thank you. So Gene Hackman shows up, and I. So I also hadn't seen this in a very long time. I realized after watching it because I had seen it, but I like forgot about all the characters and stuff. So it was like almost watching it for the first time, but with like knowing what happens. Right. <laughs> um. So when Gene Hackman shows up, I didn't remember his character. Um, and he's giving this very impassioned speech to this other Catholic priest. I thought he was playing an actor. That is how classic the dialogue is. It feels very dated, not in a bad way, just in a very like classic Hollywood way. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like I, th- So a few years after this comes out, Jaws comes out. 
Yes. And that movie was groundbreaking, not just in the special effects or like in anything else, but I think partly because Spielberg was so young when he made it, there's sort of this naturalistic sort of dialogue. Like it doesn't feel the probably the most theatrical part of that movie is the Indianapolis speech near the end. Mm -hmm. Uh, All the rest of the dialogue in the movie is very conversational. It doesn't feel written. It feels like people talking. And this movie feels like a stage production. And And I I don't, again, I don't even mean that in a bad way, but like when I was watching it, I was thinking you could put this in black and white and it could have been from decades before it came out. And And I looked up the director Mm -hmm. and he, most of his career was in golden age of Hollywood. So it made perfect sense. Uh, but yeah, I just found that funny. Like when I, when I was watching Gene Hackman and I'm like, Oh, is he like doing a scene? Oh, he's actually a priest. He's actually <laughs> oh, a priest. Oh, okay. So that's how the that's how the dialogue is. Um, and then even before that, with uh, the cop and his wife and the uh, suppository, it was very, <laughs> very like again, kind of almost like sitcommy, and it was very funny. Like the again, despite how like old fashioned the the writing is, it's great for like just getting attached to I these will say, characters. And I will agree with you. It does have kind of this you know theatrical old style of dialogue as you would say however what i really really and I actually made a note of this to talk about this what i really really like about this dialogue is somehow it is able to straddle this threshold of being theatrical like you were talking about and still somehow feel natural um you never really like when i'm watching it i don't feel like i'm anything is being said just to kind of just tell me something no for sure it's a it is this this again with the delivery i'd say it doesn't by today's standards it feels very Mm movie-ish but it's not like there's newsflash it's a movie well like for (laughs) for good movies there's no extra fat and i agree with you there like there there is no uh scene that is unneeded in the movie um like with the cop and his his wife, you kind of see where their their relationship is and how they met and kind of their dynamic. Uh, with the older couple, you get the same sort of deal with how compassionate the uh, the heavier lady is. Uh, Shelley Winters. Yes. Uh, who was nominated? I think most she... of the actors were nominated for Oscars. Oh, for no, she was the only one that got nominated. She was the only one. Yeah. And, Fittingly, since Shelley Winters since she's was basically like Meryl like, Streep. She's like the hero of the movie, too, so of course she should get uh, nominated. The way the movie doesn't feel dated and actually feels ahead of its time is in the special effects, which is very fitting for a, you know, Hollywood blockbuster. Right. The, the thing that really shocked me, uh, not even shocked me, it was just very cool was how by the end of the movie, the ship turns into this industrial hellscape. It looks yeah. like something out of Alien. Yes. Like the, how the ship is like all metal and stuff. It's like the cinematography. I don't think there's anything more... Uh, I don't think there were movies that would look like that back then. Like for the final like climax of the movie when they're in the engine room, the way it looks and how dirty and gross like it... As I said, like the the dialogue and the writing feels very uh, antiquated. Again, not in a bad way, uh, but just the brutality in this movie. Yeah. I was shocked because again, I knew what was going to happen, but the way people die in this movie yeah. is so it's brutal. But you, and this is the thing I can appreciate: it's very brutal. It's very it, when it happens, it's almost like a reality check for you. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, because Again, it's it'll like, usually follow some great banter scene where something funny happens. Well, it also makes the first, you know, the first act very uh, 
it makes it good that it felt very old fashioned because it like hits you when when the ship capsizes and all these people are falling. It does not feel like an old movie anymore. No, and so like that corny dialogue and stuff, it almost lulls you into a false sense of security that like when. Especially, like, I'm sure people knew what was going to happen from the trailer and stuff going into this movie, but they might not have known just how intense it was going to get. And that was the other interest. It's I did not know it was based on his experience on the Queen Mary because they filmed on the Queen they Mary. They did. They filmed uh, most of the shots at the beginning were filmed on the Queen Mary. Um, basically, everything up until the New Year's party was filmed on the Queen Mary. And then all the overhead shots of, like, the wave and everything, they built a replica of the Queen Mary, a little tiny Wait, one. Wait, TTT, you're telling me they didn't really capsize a no, ship No, they movie? didn't. Was Never it mind, a- guys, it's a terrible... Mo- <laughs> canceled. Canceled. Canceled Poseidon Adventure. It's no. canceled. It was real... But they built... They, they borrowed the floor plans from the Queen Mary to build this replica for those scenes too. The Queen Mary's apparently been a movie ship for a lot of movies, uh, yeah. but I can never remember which ones. So it was kind of nice seeing this. I'm like, oh, hey, when we're not in quarantine, now I have a reason to go to their haunted house. Oh my, I've been <laughs> wanting to go forever, but that is a sidebar. Yes. One of the reasons why I really picked this movie is this movie has always spoken to me. And, you know, if you kind of look at some of my favorite movies, I think you can kind of see why. One of the big things in this film that I really appreciate is the fact that it is a story of survival, which people will be like, oh, well, there's lots of stories of survival. 28 Days Later, story of survival. That's true. However, it really is a struggle about about maintaining hope and knowing that there is a light at the end of the tunnel, even if you can't see it. And... There's that, got to be a morning after. Won the Oscar for best song. Exactly. I also love that uh, it's referred to officially as the Poseidon Adventure song. I know, in the credits. There's it something, because most people nowadays will, you know, they call it the morning after, but that was something that is funny to me. <laughs> it was the official name for the song before it came out on vinyl as like, an, uh, you know, as like a single. Whatever. It was the Poseidon the Adventure Poseidon song. The Poseidon Adventure song. Uh, the other reasons why what I picked this movie is for our blockbuster is, you know, it's talking about, you know, it's really about the people and they have, even though they're surviving, they have their own character arcs that they each kind of go through. And it doesn't unless take... Unless they die. Unless, well, <laughs> even, even then, even the people who die, it's like they have their character arc, except, you know, at the very beginning with... Anyway. Uh, <laughs> base, I... I really appreciate the fact that the time was created to flesh out these characters, make these characters interesting. You know, watching it again as an older person, as I did when I was a kid, I didn't even process the fact that the cop's wife was an ex-prostitute. As a oh. kid, I didn't pick up on that. I don't think I did either. And that, <laughs> and that added so much depth, though, to her character without it being like a, you know, something that's brought up every 11 seconds. And you, know, these characters, they were very, they were very individualistic. You know, I wouldn't never say any of them were interchangeable. I wouldn't be like, well, we really didn't even need that person. It really was about the characters and about their own personal journeys and demons. And what's interesting when you look back at, if you look back at the movie, is very much a 
whether it's intentional or not, a religious sort of film. It's very intentional. The hero of the story is a priest. Well, I mean, I mean, I mean, but if you look at it, he's basically portrayed as like Mo- basically Moses leading his people to the promised land. Then we have the doctor, well, and that's, who is that's the, the false int- prophets leading them in the wrong direction. Well, and Gene Hackman, that was that was kind of an interesting take with his character too. Was he is a priest who believes that uh, just relying on God is not helpful. And that's kind of goes in with his character where he's like, we need to get ourselves out of this situation because no one is coming to rescue us. And he turned out to be right. And he's not like, oh, God doesn't exist or he hates us or anything, but you can't just sit around praying for everything to get better. And I liked that. And it was was such a nuanced take on a priest that I don't think I've ever seen one written as well (laughs) in other movies. Except maybe The Exorcist, which we should get into some other time. But yeah, like uh, that's that to me was sort of the the theme of the movie. Like I definitely agree with the religious undertones, but I do think they were very intentional. Uh, but I do think that that was kind of the the message that like uh, the movie was trying to get across is uh, you can't just, especially in a bad situation, you have to fight to survive. Yeah. Um, and you can't give up hope, and you, you can't uh, rely on just someone saving you you kind right. of have to work for it and you know that i thought which i think i think that message is kind of missing a lot even from survival things like nowadays like i keep going back because i just watched recently 28 days later you know it was about you know survival and fighting it, but watching the movie i literally asked the question why do they want to survive so much they think the world's over what what, what are they really fighting for <laughs> And so it's like you never really understand what their motivation really is. People are like, oh, stay alive. And I'm like, and what will happen then? It's not like anything's going to return to normal. I do like that they had a very specific, you know, it was it was with the, with the religious center, it's really about belief and hope and the light at the end of the tunnel, knowing it's there. And even though it's difficult to get there, you put yourself through that because at the end, it's worth it. It's kind of like a, it's almost like a life lesson <laughs> in, in a movie. And the, you know, one of the other reasons why I love this movie, I love the, I love how the serious and shock, not, I wouldn't say shocking, but, you know, heart-wrenching this movie can be. I'd say shocking, uh, even going into it from a modern sensibility. Yeah. When you go to old movies, you don't expect them to be so like there's some movies that you're aware of right uh but this one as i said especially if you haven't seen it or you haven't seen it in a long time it is pretty shocking when when things get really serious uh it it, there's just this harsh reality um and despite how uh very cinematic kind of the writing is um Mm. You don't expect it. It's almost like uh, there's some other movies. I recently watched, maybe this will be one in the future, but there's this one uh, film from the 60s called The Sadist. By today's standards, it's nothing special, but at the time, it's extremely shocking. Um, and then another favorite of mine that I uh, shared with you, Night of the Hunter. It's kind of the yes. same thing. Like It is very cheesy and corny because it's from the 1950s but it touches on like subject matter it's very dark and very serious i feel like it's it's the same with this movie not the same subject matter but just the way when a tragedy hits there's no telling who's yeah. going to be gone yeah. who's going to survive and what sort of uh, it's things the original you're going to walking have to... dead well and even <laughs> even just little things that to me were shocking for a movie in this period were like when they're climbing out of the ship there were bodies 
just everywhere. Yes, like yes. mangled, horrible I actually, bodies. I actually is... appreciated that because I have an issue, for whatever reason, I just do, with when you watch some sort of movie where there's you know, a mass casualty situation, they don't really address the mass casualty. They just kind of focus on the five characters. I'm like, what about that poor guy? He probably worked his whole life to be on this vacation. We're not going to acknowledge him. And you know, that's not a thing, but that's just what runs through my head and it makes me upset. I like the fact that they stop and they acknowledge that even when the characters are picking themselves up at, right after it turns over and you see some of the people die just from the falling around or whatever. And they, the characters take a moment to acknowledge that by putting, you know, a fabric or something over them. I thought that was a great, great moment. And that's something that I can appreciate. People be like, oh, well, wouldn't you want to not see them? I'm like, no, I want to see that because it's giving these characters their, even if you don't think them characters, their due. And then, so I, 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 that's something I appreciate. Well, the, the longer we, we've talked about movies together and stuff, I, there's certain preferences everyone has with the sort of stories they like. And mm-hmm. something I've, I've noticed with you is, and you even told me is that you like a lot of movies where uh, a group of people who don't know each other come together and pull through yeah. some sort of situation. Uh, just last year, we watched um, Hotel Mumbai, which should yeah. be an episode of this show at we, some we point. Need... That, that movie was severely underrated. It really was. Um, but that's also a very similar sort of story where you have a group of people from different backgrounds banding together to get through something really horrific. Right. Um, and yeah, I, I'd say that that's like one of your favorite kinds of stories. Yeah. Um, and it's so like, it's not that it, are you, are you a disaster movie of this era? Like, have you seen, cause, like, cause like, there I, were a I've lot of seen, big movies that came I, out after this, like I've earthquake, seen earthquake and well, towering inferno. Towering inferno. So I, you know, I've seen those earthquake. I do. It's been a while since I've seen Earthquake. I do remember the last time that I watched it, though. I was just like, this drags See, a lot. <laughs> I, I can't speak on it because I haven't seen them. And also, disaster movies are not one of my favorite genres. But, uh... Well, Tower, I, I Towering Inferno is the same guy. No, I'm aware. Uh, but that's the thing. Like, I, I've always felt like Poseidon Adventure was, like, the biggest one. Like, and it I don't... It wasn't the I, first disaster movie. No, I know, for sure. But it was, like, it's one that kind of really cemented, the, at least for the time, the disaster movies, I believe, status to be, at least from a business perspective, a box office draw. Yes, and that and that lasted for at least a decade until yeah. the '80s when they started making fun of them with movies like Airplane yeah. and stuff. But that's that's the thing. Um, like, uh, so you have seen those other ones? Would you say they stand? Because again, I haven't seen them. But to me, Poseidon's like the good, the best one. Yeah. Like in my I, and, and and again, this is coming from someone who hasn't seen the other ones. So for all I know, I might like Towering Inferno better. But uh, again, it's not a genre I like. But from my understanding, Poseidon is, like, yes. the one that you should yes, see if is, you're going to... And just speaking specifically about Towering Inferno alone, don't worry, this isn't a spoiler, but, like I said, I talked about it, it's people, you know, deciding they are worth it enough to try to make it out and, and get out, basically, on their own. And Towering Inferno, it's another classic, it's very well acted, well done, it's... But at the end of the day, they're waiting for the firemen to show up. They're just trying to survive, you know, for the moment, you know, and basically get out anywhere they can. So that's one of the reasons why I would say I would agree that this is better. Um, 
than it. I also would say that this one has the better dialogue <laughs> of Ooh. the two movie. Just for well, also in, in Towering Friend, you we get to see a pre-murder uh, O.J. Simpson. Um, he was in that movie, um, and. I remember watching that. My mom was. I was like, "Mom, I was like, oh, that's so strange." I'm like, "I thought he killed he's also, somebody." And he's she was also like, yeah, but he was somebody before then. <laughs> he's also in the Naked Gun movies. Oh, that's uh, uh, he had he had a very big acting career at the time. Uh, crazy times, but um, so uh, I love and there's just my go-to lines from this movie that that I just love. One of my favorite ones, and this is actually a lot of people's favorite one, is uh, when the cop's wife when they just to climb up the tree. And they're like, you can't climb that dress. You need to put something else on. He and the, her, her husband's like, put what is she put it on? She has nothing on under it. And she just goes, just panties. What else do I need? I mean, that's like that's just such a great line. Um, and then there was another one where I think the girl, the sister, she's stuck on the table, and they're like, what are you doing up there? And she goes, that's a stupid question. What do you yep. think I'm doing up here? I'm just like, I love how they were able to kind of maintain like brother sister relationships through oh, that oh for sure the uh again even though i say like the dialogue feels kind of dated i it's very there's times where it almost feels like screwball comedy yeah like you know just very witty banter i mean like, it's very well written don't get me wrong no, yeah. I, 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 kind of with the new wave of filmmakers in the late 70s as i said like dialogue changed it wasn't about like you know the, the films used to be a lot more like you know theatrical like people right. would give like big monologues and stuff and spielberg i kind of feel like was the start of this maybe i'm wrong but i've jaws felt very different to me as far as blockbusters go mm -hmm. with just again natural sounding dialogue so that you know it's it's as if someone wrote a scene of the two of us talking and we right. sound exactly the way that we're talking right now yeah instead of me sounding a lot you know there's part of it's the performance but part of it is the writing and and that's what i mean when i say this movie's writing feels dated but not in a bad way it just feels very it feels it, it, it feels, feels like, it feels very stylized you could, it, it has a you, style and hey you know broadway this is a good idea this could be a stage production. Uh, they it could did be do a, a stage production. I'm not they did a musical of it. I am not surprised uh, <laughs> because that is the thing. Like you could you could put it on today and you could probably make it even better than it was uh, with like modern theater stuff. Uh, so I looked back and so I used to be obsessed with this film as a kid. So I I kind of already have a lot of base knowledge about this. Um, one of the things that it's really interesting about this, I don't know if you noticed this, unlike most disaster movies, especially like an earthquake, and I believe in Towering Inferno 2, if I remember correctly, there is no villain in this movie. There's not like somebody trying to sabotage them or who's trying to smuggle out jewels with them on their way out, which is kind Are of... Are you telling me the Towering Inferno has someone trying to smuggle jewels out of a burning building? Because now I kind of want to see that movie. I, I, I don't know if that's what he's doing. <laughs> I know I know somebody... I know the people try to loot stuff. The survivors try to loot stuff nah, in, in, in Earthquake. I believe something similar happens in Towering Inferno. No, and, you're, and you're totally right, though. This movie doesn't have a there classic is... antagonist. I'd say it's kind of just generally, it's sort of the uh, the naysayers. Like the people who say like, oh, don't listen to these people. We're going to get rescued. Yeah, Let's but go like, to the but... wrong end of the ship. Like, yeah. and, and they're not evil. They're not malicious. But that it's just that sort of complacency and that sort of uh, attitude of someone else is going to save us. Exactly. That is the Which antagonist it... of the movie. Again, like it's almost like pragmatism is 
the 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 moral of the story like do get yourself out of the situation again it goes back to what gene hackman's character exactly he's talking about that's basically like the log line (laughs) right before the the climax of the movie a lot of the people in the ballroom made it out you don't think so you think oh they're all dead you see them marching towards the front of the ship and everyone's like well wait a second like the the back is where the ship is you know the, the the front of the boat is underwater what do you know? Which is funny to me, considering that, you know, they just saw them get proven right. So right. I have no idea why anyone would think that way. But again, it goes to this whole thinking against, you know, what other people are doing, which I don't know. <laughs> these, <laughs> these days with uh, masks and stuff going on, well, I don't even know what to talk about with that. But So what's interesting, because we talked very briefly about, at the beginning, how this was a blockbuster. This was a big deal. People talked about, you know, in towns where they only had one theater that would show one movie at a time, the movie was held over for like nine weeks, which is like unheard of at the time. And what's interesting about that is when you hear the story about how this got made, because I guess Erwin Allen wanted to adapt this book or the script was already out there and he wanted to do the project. I forget which it is, but he's going to Fox because Fox, I guess Fox had the rights to it and he wanted to produce it he's like you know i want to make this happen and fox was like well we've had a lot of failures recently we don't feel comfortable you're not you're not really established in this genre yet or something so they were they didn't want to give the money like they had even though they had now their classics for example hello dolly he's like a musical classic now I get, apparently did not do well at the box office. Oh, that, it's it's a bomb. That's Big time. that's one of the like that's one of the reasons why they didn't because that didn't do well. A whole bunch of movies they had just put out didn't do well. Not only did Hello Dolly bomb, mm-hmm. it was the film that killed musicals. Yeah, they used to be the blockbuster. Even yeah. when disaster movies were big, they were like Marvel movies are today. Yeah. Because Hello Dolly bombed so badly. They musicals just, just musicals disappeared. Musicals are over, yeah. Yeah, it was, it, musicals are over, well, uh, or, or and, musicals are over party, excuse well, me. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and I was reading about that, and I guess it's just, you know, taste change, these overproduced spectacles, which is what a lot of these movie musicals were, were just, people were like, eh, we've seen a lot of those. And yeah. so, because they had all these setbacks, they didn't want to give him the money for this movie. So he made a deal with him, and this is actually kind of hilarious. He was like, okay, what if I uh, get it, like half, I think he said half, half of it funded myself, um, and they were like, "Sure." Dude rolls out of the studios, goes across the street to the country club, and literally gets people to like. I think he raises like I forget how much it is, like five million dollars or something, and just like in a, so he got it, he got it funded. <laughs> just be, I think that's a hilarious story. Like it was same day, literally fifteen minutes later, I have it funded. Are you ready now? And then this did so, so well that when he wanted to do Towering Inferno, um, they were like, here, here's a blank check because this, you basically printed money for us with the Poseidon Adventure. And so I, I think that's hilarious. He was like, yeah, okay, I'll get it funded. Goes across the street. Hey, everybody, we're on a drinks on me. Who wants to fund this movie? <laughs> so and something else I found interesting about this is the fact that a lot of the, I don't know if you noticed, the actors themselves did their own stunts. Yes, I did. And I, I think that was another way that they were ahead of their uh, ahead of their time with this right? movie. I think it uh, maybe it was unnecessary, but I think it added to the performance because I think cause you prob- can't fake that sort of exhaustion. Yeah, or that sort of like if you have to hold your breath for several minutes. Yeah, when you're coming, you're, in, you're not going to be acting right when, uh, <laughs> when you're having to actually do it. And so, um, 
the what that was what was there were like a couple scenes where they're like because of insurance purposes we actually cannot have you do this i would say the prostitute falling to her death that was probably a stunt woman but like for example the scene where gene hackman's character goes back for the kid because oh yeah that was all them drowning in the water. And what is super interesting, I watched a, this thing with Ronald Neem talking about how that was filmed. So you basically said they had a hallway at the top of a water tank that they built the top of a water tank at, uh, what is it called, um, at Fox. And so I guess what happened is they had somebody, they had some mission or whatever that would lower one end at a, like, at a time that into it so the water would come up. And so when that's happening... The actors are running, the water's coming up, and the director and everybody, they're all at the other end of the hallway, you know, with their camera or whatever. Well, apparently, what had happened was the guy who was supposed to stop the hallway from going all the way down into the water didn't. So the entire hallway ends up being submerged in here. So everybody, including the director and the camera and the film, were underwater. Jeez, I hope it was an underwater camera or else they would have ruined well, a whole reel of film. That's what they said. Everybody was panicked about this. So so what they said, what they do is they, and I love this, if you watch this guy talk, it's, it's so he, he's like, so what we did is we took the film, the spool of film, we gave it to a, a a character who took it to the laboratory. A and they, character. He says that. That's the, that's. <laughs> I, I, you should watch this guy in an interview. He's he's great. This is Irwin Allen. No, uh, uh, Ronald Neem, the director. Oh, okay, okay. So he said, what they did is they took it. They literally took the the mag the film magazine, soaking wet. They took it to wherever they developed the film at, and they took the wet film out and wound it onto the develop the developing machine and stars aligning. He said. It came out fine. It came out great. It came out good. But yeah, so like when that kid looks like he's about to drown in that scene, yeah, that's real. <laughs> he literally almost drowned <laughs> filming that. And I just, I, I, I think that's that that that's that's just great. I will say, not the actor, but the character of that little boy was a little annoying. <laughs> and and it's it's what it is. It I just like even from the beginning where he's like out on the you know going to the captain's uh quarter or the the what do you call it the, uh, the, the bridge, bridge yeah the bridge in a storm and I'm just like kid are you are you are you for real? I mean, I'm like, I was like with his older sister. I'm like dude cut it out <laughs> like I, I will say at least his uh nerdy knowledge on boats came in handy right but yeah like th- that scene you're talking about where he wandered off it was one of those classic yelling at the screen kind of like what are you Yo, doing what are you doing what yes, are you get, doing why and did even, you want like and i'm thinking of like me as a little kid i would like even to go to the bathroom i'd probably pee my pants before like right. you know in that situation it's like you know I, uh, I just do it in the water <laughs> no one will notice <laughs> you know but they're just the scene that he actually goes into the we don't see him using the restroom i think, no, I don't even that, think that's i think he was just exploring, he was just exploring but because, for some reason seeing the bathroom yeah somehow just makes it like real and very human i don't know why it's like because i guess you know nobody really acknowledges for the most part at least in older films p- 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 characters are humans and they use the restroom something about showing the restroom what was the little boy's uh, name in the movie? Oh my gosh, I totally forget. Gene I forget. Hackman walks in. Billy, this is the girl's bathroom. Give him a slap. <laughs> Gets it, right? Don't wander off again. Don't wander <laughs> off. But that was... That whole sequence is great. But I I loved hearing that backstory about basically the entire hallway fell in there. Everybody was underwater. And also the ending scene when they're climbing out. 
that was in the parking lot or something at Fox. I I read that and I I wasn't surprised because well because because this is something like if you watch a lot of movies you'll probably notice this if you don't watch like if you decide to watch this movie look for it but curiously when you're watching the movie you see that the only thing in frame is the helicopter yeah and so I like even before I read that I was like oh this is this was probably filmed like months later or something. Well, so parking lot, that is interesting, but, uh, well, yeah, he had the original way the movie was written. Originally it was supposed to have them climbing out. And I believe it was a pullout shot and there were just, you know, rescue ships around. And I think it goes back in and they get off the boat and the ship actually just goes under entirely. Yeah. And they ran out of money. So they couldn't do that. I'm not surprised. It was the only thing where I was like, huh, Funny how you don't see the helicopter lift off, and also it's the only thing in the frame. No, it does lift off. It doesn't go very far, but it lifts off. Okay. Okay. It does. Okay. It does do that. Okay. So, I will just say, you know, this movie, for basically all the reasons we've talked about, it has its staying power. I will even argue that it's not... It's, it's not even like a movie that you'll be like, oh, you know, it's good, but it has like its cringy moments. I wouldn't even say it has its cringy moments. Well, I will say there's one scene where Gene Hackman <laughs> is at the party table. Keep in mind, he's a priest and he has his arm around these like two like young, gorgeous girls. I Dude, was like, his, his relationship with the teenage girl was really uncomfortable. I, obviously, I don't think they had any kind of relationship in, they the, didn't. in the story. But man, in, in today, if you want, that's one thing that probably hasn't I will say. I will it say is, this is, at least from my perspective, it was one sided. It did yes. seem very no, much. No, it definitely was, seemed she like was she was, so, was onto him. Yeah, but she was so into him. It's still very weird, uh, especially like it's one of those things where you know someone wrote that into the script. Yeah, and it's like I don't know. It, again, I didn't take away from the movie for me, but I know what you mean because it's like that was. I, about I, a, I almost forgot about that until you brought it up. But yeah, that whole that whole thing was very was, weird. And I was like, okay. Young hit priest, cool. But like I said, this is a great movie. I believe this movie everybody should watch, even if you're not a disaster movie person, because it really doesn't follow a lot of like we said the disaster movie tropes. There's no you know secret villain. There's no just trying to survive to just survive. There's characters that are interesting that are funny. Um, I really think that this is probably one of the best disaster films oh i think it ever is made. the best one at least for me and this is coming from someone who doesn't really, like the genre you really too think much. this is better over earth aftershock earthquake in new york <laughs> or what uh skyscraper with Dwayne the rock johnson oh my gosh no but um i i think it's great uh i encourage if you've never heard of this movie uh and you're listening to this uh check it out uh i saw it on amazon for like two bucks yeah. Um, it is excellent, and I think it holds up. Again, I, uh, knowing the time period it's from, I think you'll be really shocked at how how blunt it gets with the subject yeah, matter. It really and, does. And uh, I will propose. I I will I will double down. I propose to anyone who hasn't seen the movie who watches it after this or before this. Uh, tell me if you got guessed who survived correctly. Yes, it is one down of those in the movies. comments. Tell me. Tell us. If you guessed correctly who survives the, the thing. Or uh, tell us who you think should have who should have, who should, who should, who should have and who shouldn't have. One final fact to leave you before you go. Leslie Nielsen was the captain of the boat in this movie. He was top build, but was only in it for 20 minutes. Oh, and that's 
at least for me, that was the first. It's literally the first name you see on the screen because he was top build. Yeah. Uh, or the, actually, I think he had like a special credit, like Leslie Leslie Nielsen, with, like captain. With. And again, it is funny that just a few years after this movie, when they were parodying disaster he, he movies, did airplane, right? Yeah, yeah, which was a parody of Airport, which yes. was from the nineteen fifties. Which we'll we'll get into later. That. It was, um, Air, I, Airport was the seventies too. Anyway, <laughs> uh, yeah. So we we challenge you to uh, either you know tell us if you got it right or. Tell us who you think should have gone. <laughs> <laughs> and let us know in the comments below. Like, subscribe. Feel free to call me an illiterate uh, an illiterate boob. I mean, uh, I do that already, but you know. True. But yeah, so tell us what you think and let us know. If you like the movie, didn't like the movie. Feel free to like. Uh, if you want to subscribe, go right on ahead. And if you want notifications on that subscription, hit the bell icon. And we'll see you guys next time. See you in the next one. Thanks, guys. Stay thirsty. Reels on the Rocks is a production of Le Prince Laboratories. It is edited and produced by Alejandro Castillo, with original artwork by Ace Esparza. Follow us on Twitter at Reels on the Rocks, and tweet at us any movies or shows you'd like us to discuss in the future.